right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hello and welcome to another edition of Nerdificent. I am one half of your host, Danny Fernandez, sitting across the virtual space from me, as always. If you want to, Wayne, coming we're through. Here we're still <laughs> figuring out. I swear yeah. to God, my team every week is like, Danny, how can we make it sound like you're not calling us from a payphone? <laughs> <laughs> We did it this week, though. You'd be surprised. I'm recording on an iMac. I have. Yeah. It's not like I. I don't know what's with me in technology. I have a an Apple. I have a MacBook Air, an iMac. <laughs> I have uh, the newest generation of of the uh, iPhone. But apparently, my Insta was still like everyone was like, "This girl has Boost Mobile." It was like not working <laughs> well. I don't know. I swear to God, I if I could pay more money for better things, I would. I have no idea what I'm doing. Tech is not. I'm trusting Apple to just do the things, but apparently, I don't know. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah, I'm running off of the uh, i9 9900K. You know, I got that 2080 Ti graphics card. 32 gigabytes of RAM, like your boy messing with a monster. Uh, don't come for me. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know. I I have. Is there something higher than 5G? That's what I have. No, no. You you your your phone is fine. It's just you you your. It's just like just latency, and I think just uh, naturally Instagram the way that they kind of uh, take the data and the speeds. It's going to be hard to do it. They it used to be back before you know before these times you used to be able to like rig it up and start doing like lives and stuff from a desktop but they've yes. kind of created workarounds and stuff which i'm like that would have come in handy now you know yeah well someone else perfect segue that's been doing a lot of lives a lot of streams mm. our friend who's a guest mm. on the pod today a comedian writer host um dog lover that is mr mark ellis what an honor it is. This is my third time on the show, I think. So I'm yeah. like getting close to that Tom Hanks five-time host SNL club. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, you're 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 up there. I mean, you're you're still trailing, I think, behind Hector Navarro. Uh, Hector <laughs> Navarro is is he's putting in the mileage, the time. Uh, but you're definitely a close second. You're, I guess, you you'd be more. Who who's who's after Tom Hanks? Uh, <laughs> I, I I think it might be like then I might be like a Steve Martin or an Alec Baldwin. I mean, that's like, not bad. It's 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 good company to be in, and yeah. this was I was a little hesitant to come back on the show because I'm like, okay, well, I've already exhausted my Magic the Gathering knowledge with y'all, my comic book movies, my Star Wars, and I'm like, I don't know anything else about nerdy stuff that much, and then. Just like a bolt of lightning, like Travis Walton in Fire in the Sky. Danny Fernandez hit me up and she's like, well, how about The Last Dance? And I was like, can your podcast be nine hours? Because I have so much to talk about. (laughs) Well, it was so funny. We were talking to our super producer, Joelle Monique, and uh, I was telling her that you, she was like, man, this guy contains multitudes because you are a what I call a sports nerd, you can rattle off stats and baseball stats, football and basketball stats, even golf, which I think you're the nerdiest person for being into. (laughs) But you can rattle off so many stats when I am with you, you're always like, Oh, this reminds me of Super Bowl 55. Or no, what Super Bowl yet now? I might have made that up. Um, we're well into the 50s, Danny. And okay, but you'll be like, this reminds me of Super Bowl 35 when they were down by blah, blah, blah. And then like you just rattle that stuff off. And I was like, well, this is very nerdy. We should go into sports nerds. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, th- th- this is interesting because I think that, well, at least for golf, golf is where the intersection of sports nerds and old person meets. And I'm <laughs> gradually becoming that. But before I totally commit to just playing Wii Golf and drinking Coors Light all day, there is a little bit of athleticism still in me. And I mean, I grew up playing sports, but I also grew up being into nerd stuff. And I think that when you're at both of those seemingly different worlds, you actually realize that they are one and the same because it's usually something that hooks you when you're a kid. It's something that you manifest into reality in a way that either you believe Luke Skywalker's real or you think that Michael Jordan actually cares about your opinion, you know? Or (laughs) you think for me, it's like, I really believe that the Washington men's professional football franchise actually thinks that they that I can hear them and they can hear me when I'm cheering for them. Like I actually feel like from 3000 miles away, I'm having an effect on that team. And if you've been paying attention in the last 25 years, you know, I could be doing better. But it's just one of those things where we just it's I think being a nerd is caring about something. And sometimes that's just knowing a lot is being able to quantify it in numbers or some other way. But the bottom line is it's something that you really invest a lot of time and energy and love in. And for me, sports has always been that. Well, I, you know, got fascinated because it felt like everybody was tweeting uh, in film Twitter and um, all aspects of Twitter, sports Twitter, nerd Twitter. Everyone was tweeting about this documentary, The Last Dance. And it was so cool because it felt like the Super Bowl or like when a live event happens that everybody starts tweeting about. And it was all over my Twitter And uh, for people that don't know, it was a documentary. It's still coming out every weekend. Uh, It's a mini series by ESPN that covers the final season of the iconic Chicago Bulls, uh, what was essentially their last dance that Phil Jackson uh, coined uh, or named. And 
I just thought like it had a bunch of never before seen footage and interviews. And I was like, this is just so even the stats, like the stats that we'll get into on Scottie Pippen. But even if you aren't a sports person, I still heavily recommend checking this out. It's the same thing I feel about with rock and roll (laughs) documentaries (laughs) that I'm not super into that, but I find all the behind the scenes drama incredibly fascinating because I'm also very petty. And so (laughs) heavily recommend watching this again, even if you're not a sports person to just learn about the lore and the legacy behind this team. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Go ahead. And I think that's what makes it so fun to talk about on this episode, because yeah, I just only, I'd say recently started caring about sports, been a nerd most of my life. And my sports knowledge has been like, is is my LA team winning then then I'm then I'm in you know I'd show up and now I just kind of wanted to have like a more in-depth look and when you start to look beyond just like who's winning and losing especially in basketball you'd notice the kind of like chess match that front office can be in sports and uh, for 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 people who are like what 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 did you say so the uh and in mark you can correct me if i'm wrong if i'm wrong because i might be getting some of these terms wrong but front office is pretty much like the organization of these uh sports teams and the wheeling and dealing and uh how they how they kind of help uh, the team both build and, you know, make trades and deals. And that was actually a big portion of the first part of this doc was that debate of who wins championships. Is it the players themselves? Is it the organization? If you went on Twitter, it seems like everyone agreed it's both parts equally. But the the big kind of uh, tug of war was kind of Michael Jordan being in his bag and being like, no, nah, y'all not going to run this team after I just did all this work for you. And it's so interesting because people have been comparing that to uh, LeBron right now with the Lakers, uh, which was very important to me because uh, at this time, everyone was a Michael Jordan fan. I don't care what anyone says at this time in your life, you were a Michael Jordan fan. And all these people being like people not knowing about Scottie Pippen. I'm like, shut up. I had a Scottie Pippen poster in my room of him Duncan. Yes, it was because I couldn't get a Michael Jordan one, but I still had the Scottie Pippen poster and Pippen was just as important, just as integral to me. So that's what was interesting about this doc and what really uh, I think warranted this episode. One, just so it could be a breather. We don't have to talk about just superheroes all the time. And this is kind of like the biggest pop culture thing happening right now uh, besides Final Fantasy VII Remake and Animal Crossing, but we can do that later. Oh, (laughs) thank God I don't have to talk about Final Fantasy. I remember, uh, I remember my buddy getting Final Fantasy for Super Nintendo when I was a kid, and I and and it was like three days later, and I I called him and I was like, hey, how's Final Fantasy? Is it good? And he's like, I haven't finished reading the instruction booklet yet, so I haven't started the game. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just, I probably went outside and played basketball instead. Stop yeah. talking to that guy. But like, <laughs> when, when when you talk about the Last Dance and what kind of a phenomenon it's been, it, it's partially due to the fact that we're all kind of you know staying inside and staying distant, and we need outlets, we need new things to talk about online. And it certainly fills that void. But I think that the effect that The Last Dance is having on so many different uh, demographics, if you will, is the same effect that the 90s Chicago Bulls had. Because with The Last Dance, you have people who, like Danny said, are film nerds, are people who are looking at it from the documentary, the making of standpoint. You have sports nerds like me. You have stats nerds. You have people who just want to get into this thing for the first time or walk down memory lane. Like I was talking with super producer Joelle about it before we went to live. And I was thinking about her old man watching this because she's from Chicago. Her dad was such a Bulls fan. And so he's watching this and it's just like a kid in a candy store, I imagine. And for me, 
it's like the 90s Chicago Bulls were like that too because you did not have to be a big sports fan to know who the Bulls were to especially know who Michael Jordan and for the most part who Scottie Pippen was and if he to to bring it back to the front office when we talk about a front office in terms of sports you're generally referring to two people the general manager and the owner of the team. The owner of the team obviously is the person who owns and has the final say on everything, but usually they cede a lot of the team responsibilities and the team final say to the general manager, who's the person responsible for putting together a collection of talent on the field, or in this case, on the court, that's going to win you a championship. And you can look at teams throughout history. I would say that you take a team like my favorite basketball team is the San Antonio Spurs, and you can look at that And you can say, okay, well, Tim Duncan is an all-time player. Uh, Tony Parker and Monty Ginobili were really good. But how much did the front office take uh, a responsibility and have a hand in them winning five championships? I think a great deal. And when you come to the Chicago Bulls, I think that Jerry Krause, who was the GM of the Chicago Bulls during their run, wanted more credit than he was getting. But I tend to agree with Michael Jordan where this is not a a normal team that you put together. Sure, they had to add pieces like Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant, B.J. Armstrong. But you had Michael Jeffrey Jordan on the court. You always had a chance to win a championship. And that's never been lost on fans. And I think that that's why a lot of this narrative that is in the first two episodes of The Last Dance, which is what we've seen so far, is anti-Jerry Krause just because... He just could not get out of his own ego's way. Well, something... Oh, something I was going to say, too, Mark, is uh, we were talking about this, that essentially, to me, it's so fascinating to have a GM that wants so much credit. To me, I was saying that it reminds me of a producer for a film. Now, normally, when if we look at something like Endgame, you know the big-time actors that got people to the movie, and you know the directors, the Russo brothers, but you don't really pay attention to the producers. Now, they make millions of dollars, but they know what they're getting into when they choose to be behind the scenes. You are not the all-star. You're not the Phil Jackson, the Michael Jordan, the Scottie Pippen. So no, people aren't like rushing up to you and you're not getting all of the credit, but you kind of know that. And on the back end, you're still making millions of dollars. And that's what so you get a- into it for. That's And and, yes. and look, everybody grows up. If you're a sports fan, you grow up and you have dreams of playing the sport that you love professionally. I have not given up on those dreams just yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that GMs and owners, they probably grew up loving this stuff when you realize that you just were not blessed with a body that's going to be able to handle the rigors <laughs> of playing a professional sport. You tend to look for other ways that you can get involved in it. And for a good nerd comparison, the front office of a basketball team is a lot like what the role Kevin Feige serves in the Marvel Cinematic Universe or who Kathleen Kennedy is now in the world of Star Wars taking over for George Lucas, where they have the final say, but you're not necessarily paying the money for a ticket to go see Kevin Feige or Kathleen Kennedy. You're going to see the product that they put before you, which has been great in both those cases and was certainly possibly the best ever with the 90s Bulls. I know it it does feel like it's one of those things to use the same analogy that it's like if you're in the know, you're in the know. And then if you're phenomenal, then people will know, (laughs) you know, like it's it's not common knowledge for someone to be throwing around a name like Feige as much as people do with the MCU. But it's because at at certain point, you know, it's one thing to and I think to use that same analogy, bringing butts in the seats. But when you can sit back and look at the way 
Feige was able to build this like multi-movie arc and you're like, okay, that's that's when that's beyond the writer, that's beyond the director, that's the person behind the scenes being able to communicate with all these moving moving parts and make it happen. And it's one of those things where I think it just comes to to have the ego argument where it's like, if you just keep doing good work, people will notice. You don't have to argue with your star player. You don't have to get in their face and and try and like you know. Uh, almost destroy your own team just because you need notoriety that bad and oftentimes the ones who are looking for it the most are the ones who <laughs> low-key don't deserve it i think that jordan is such a rare case too because he had the talent on court but then also off the court he was such a transcendent figure that he could lead and I, he's the owner of the charlotte franchise now and so you know that he had those aspirations but he i would compare him to darth vader because darth vader was such a badass in the galaxy far far away he could pull out a lightsaber and defeat anyone in his prime but he was also part of the front office of the empire he was making yeah. decisions he was calling some shots and so that's what a leader on your team is and there's different ways to do it i mean you can be michael jordan and kind of oversee everything and and tell the front office hey i'm not playing for a coach other than phil jackson or you can yeah. do more of the Tim Duncan model, which is speak softly but carry a big stick. Both great leaders of men on the court, but Jordan really transcended what he was doing on the court to off it. And I think that when you have a player of his caliber that comes up and starts ruffling feathers or looking the GM in the eye, so to speak, I think that <laughs> some GMs would get very squirrely. And that's certainly what happened with Jerry Krause. But look, I'll also defend Jerry Krause on a couple different fronts here because Jerry Krause did have a huge hand in putting this championship team together and he also made some decisions that may not have been popular at the time or even now but I think were necessary case in point is when Michael Jordan broke his foot early in the second season he was held out even though he felt ready to come back and play he was held out because there was the small risk that if he breaks this thing again he's his career is over and that's what you see in sports now is how cautious teams are with allowing players to come back from injury. The team has the final say. So in baseball, if you're a pitcher and you just had Tommy John surgery and you're coming back, it doesn't matter if you're throwing a no-hitter into the seventh inning. If you have hit your pitch count, you're going out of the game. You see the same thing, and the risk-reward was evident as early as a couple seasons ago when Kevin Durant got hurt, came back too early, and then got hurt again in the playoffs and then had to sit out this entire season. So I think that they were a little ahead of the curve in telling the athlete, we know you want to play, but you have to sit down and you have to let us tell you when, and the doctors tell you when it's safe for you to come back and play. Mark, I was going to say before we dive in further, can you uh, explain to people as best you can of, as far as how this team came together? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you can really tell how much I love this stuff because I haven't like tried to crack a joke or be funny at all. I'm just so serious. And anybody who knows me knows that like <laughs> I can crack jokes about sports, but like I get into this stuff. So if you came here for comedy, I'm sorry I'm failing everyone. But sorry, Danny, continue. No, give everyone a shorthand essentially of how we got to uh, when with Jordan joining in 84, kind of what that looked like. And then when they finally got the team to be the iconic 90s Bulls. The NBA was not always the huge international cash cow social media lightning rod that it is now. It, it's popularity really took a big shot in the arm when Larry Bird and Magic Johnson entered the league 
going into the decade of the 80s. And so now you had stars to root for. And what that really proved and shot a light on is that there's teams with young players that are hungry to win championships. And then there's also teams with players who are letting the little amount of fame that they have derail them and get them into bad situations. They're, the drugs and alcohol that were being abused by players in the NBA in the late 70s, early 80s was so it, it would it. it like it, it's it's hard to quantify how much of an effect that actually had on the gameplay on the flow back in that day and then larry bird and magic johnson come along and these are clean guys who just want to form a team and win championships and so that's what they were doing for most of the 80s meanwhile michael jordan who's had a chip on his shoulder since 10th grade when he got cut from the varsity high school basketball team he gets to UNC, he hits a game-winning shot to win the national championship as a freshman, and then he becomes one of the best college players in the country. Once he goes into the NBA draft in the mid-80s, it's a little bit of a different league, but there's still a lot of leftover from the drug and alcohol abuse that I mentioned, and a lot of that was happening with the Chicago Bulls team that he got drafted to. And so, as he mentions in the documentary, he was never really a part of that scene. He just wanted to play basketball, sleep, and wake up and play more basketball. And so kind of cleansing that palate in Chicago and in the NBA is something that Magic, Larry, and then Michael coming along really had a say in. Because if you wanted to compete with these guys and you wanted to break the Celtics-Lakers run of winning championships, you had to step up and run a clean program. And then the Bad Boys Pistons came along. The Detroit Pistons in the late 80s finally unseated both the Celtics in the Eastern Conference and then the Lakers in the Western Conference to win two championships. And they were the bullies on the block that the Bulls could just never get past. It was Isaiah Thomas and Dennis Rodman, who used to play for the Pistons, Joe Dumars, Bill Lambeer, such a great cast of <laughs> great players and thugs. It was a good mix of two. Bill Lambeer <laughs> was the biggest thug you'd ever want to come across, and the Bulls just could not get past them. And the NBA is littered with a history of a young upstart team keeping, trying to keep pace with the champion. And eventually, the David, the Chicago Bulls in this case, becomes the Goliath. Once you unseat the current champion, then you can have your run. And that's what the Bulls did to a level that we had not seen since the Boston Celtics of the 60s. Uh, we have to take a break right now. I'm sorry, my ramp. Uh, no, that was the perfect thing. Uh, I will say when I was listening to that, because I was like, you know, you know, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a, a nerd uh, purist. I was like, oh, no, no. How these how how these nerds are going to take to the Bulls episode. But hearing you geek out about the, the Bulls <laughs> in a way that only a nerd can yep. is is like where I'm like, if you have complaints, you just need to listen to that rant because that's enough. <laughs> because I don't, I, I don't even like old basketball stats. I'm like, whatever. But hearing that, I got way too hyped, especially hearing my team Lakers back in uh, back getting that getting that that shine and the origin of this uh, Lakers v Boston uh, rivalry. But we do have to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to dive deeper into the Bulls, talk more about it. And don't worry, for all our uh, nerds, even though I, I want to also uh, apologize every time I'm like, oh, nerds, because truly uh, nerds and sports nerds are one and the same. Like, they're, I think it, that's a myth. There's so many people, even in the Discord, who always want to talk sports and stuff. So it's there. It's no such thing. They're just people who are, who are usually into the thing. If you're nerdy about one thing, it's usually, I, I think I've said this either on this pod or another pod before, but nerds 
nerd is a personality uh, trait. And I think that if you're nerdy about like uh, video games or magic, you're there, you have the capacity to be just as nerdy about sports because it's more of a personality trait than like a one a one like a thing that you do and if you don't believe iffy then just come join us at any fantasy football draft and you're just gonna see how nerdy <laughs> wow we nerds yeah. going over I mean, stats just going look, over stats i just know look you put fantasy in the title i'm in it mm-hmm. i'm not that into sports but i will play the hell out of a fantasy sport because now you're in my lane we're, we're talking numbers and 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 building team oh we're in but we'll be right back after these messages Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we are back, still talking to Mark Ellis about the 90s Chicago Bulls uh, team and the Last Dance documentary that is still dropping every weekend on ESPN. So, Mark, what were, so we have, we have Michael, who's being added. Now, they had to switch out some players in order to build him the ultimate team. Can you talk us through that? 
Yeah, it, it was such a running dialogue. I know in Michael Jordan's own mind, and then it became something of national fanfare that Michael Jordan was this great individual talent, but could he ever lead a team to a championship? Because you have to remember back when Michael Jordan was drafted, the rage in the NBA was the inside game, was who has the tallest, most dominant player, which is why you had guys like Moses Malone, who was a great rebounder, who was the first person to go right from high school into the league when that was never done. And then you had guys who were, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon was drafted before Michael Jordan was because he's a great center. And that was the centerpiece of your team. And then Michael Jordan is this guy who is just so competitive, has such a fire that realizes that he has everything within himself to win. He has the ability, as we saw when he dropped 63 points on the Celtics, which is still an NBA playoff record for a single game, but he didn't have the surrounding pieces necessary to get him to the next level. And so then, partially thanks to the front office, Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause, they got Scottie Pippen. Uh, they drafted him out of Central Arkansas. Uh, he actually got came to the Bulls on a draft night trade with the Supersonics. They also picked up a very valuable underrated point guard, in my opinion, B.J. Armstrong, Horace Grant, Bill Wennington. These are the, not necessarily the centerpieces of the team, but they're cogs that are vital in the machine in order to win a championship. And then you go through some other Jordan highlights is that there's this famous shot of Michael Jordan hitting a game-winning shot over the Cleveland Cavaliers' Craig Elo in the playoffs and Jordan hits the shot and then he pumps his fist three times and it almost looks like in the shot from the angle that he kicks Craig Eagle in the face he did not kick Craig Eagle in the face it just Craig Eagle was very close and it looked like that however people get that confused because that team did not win a championship that team ultimately lost to the Detroit Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals and then they finally knew that they could beat the Pistons when they had all the pieces in place once Phil Jackson became the coach. And they learned, oh, you know what? They're going to try to outmuscle us. We need to all get bigger. And Jordan had a huge change in his body, as did Scottie Pippen from the time they got into the league until 1991, which is when they won their first championship. They got bigger. They got stronger. They got tougher physically and mentally. And that's what you need to win a championship. And what better way? to win your first championship than to knock out the Pistons in the Eastern Conference playoffs. And then when you get to the finals, you run into Magic Johnson and the Showtime Lakers trying to get one more championship out of their great 80s run with head coach Pat Riley, and they just could not get past the Chicago Bulls. There's an iconic Jordan layup where he switches hands, maybe unnecessarily so, but it's a great highlight. And that is from that first championship game that they were able to pull off. The Bulls, ever since then, have been this iconic franchise that we talk about when we talk about the greatest teams in sports history. Well, Mark, I was going to say it was crazy seeing Magic in that documentary being like Michael Jordan. This is back, you know, back then being Michael Jordan is the best player in this league. Like you're talking about yourself. You're talking about all the other players and your teammates. And I just think that takes that such a level of respect to have other players be like, this is the best player. It's cool because Magic and Larry knew that Jordan did not have the pieces around him to win a championship. So maybe it's a little bit easier to be that effusive with your praise when you know that this guy's not going to be able to beat you in the playoffs when it's team versus team. 
But I think that they had to look at the writing on the wall because Larry was playing for the Celtics and Jordan dropped 49 and then 63 on them in his second season. And Magic Johnson is watching this young kid do things that have never been done before. And Magic had a unique insight into the competitiveness of Michael Jordan because Magic Johnson's teammate on those Showtime Lakers was James Worthy. James Worthy was the Scottie Pippen to Magic Johnson's Michael Jordan on the Lakers. James Worthy played with Michael Jordan at the University of North Carolina. He was the big star on the team the year Jordan was a freshman and they went on to win the championship. So James Worthy, as he's quoted in the documentary, he knew from the first month that Jordan was on campus that this is going to be the best basketball player on this team. And I think that a lot of that transcended into the NBA. And NBA guys started to take note and like, look, our team might be able to beat his team, but one-on-one, nobody's touching this guy. Um. I was going to say another thing that Michael Jordan said in the documentary said, whenever they speak Michael Jordan, they should speak Scottie Pippen. Why do you think that Scottie doesn't get the same amount of praise? I think that Michael Jordan was such a huge overshadowing figure, not just in terms of what he could do on the court, but also all the marketing and endorsements that he had. His shoe brand to this day, and he's been retired for almost 20 years, The Air Jordan brand of shoe still outsells every other basketball player's shoe line combined, and it's not even close. He had the endorsement with Gatorade, with McDonald's, with all these different brands, with Hanes, and he was the star of the team for that reason. And I think it also helps Jordan's cause that he just got to Chicago a couple years before Scottie Pippen did. And you always need that complimentary player, though. You always need that person riding in the sidecar while you're driving the motorcycle. And Scottie Pippen is so well cut out for that role because he is a little soft-spoken. He he is somebody who doesn't necessarily have to be an alpha male in order to be a dominant presence on the court. Scottie Pippen is one of the best two-way players in basketball history. As, as talented as he was offensively, he was a lockdown defender. And so I think that it's fair for people to say that when you mention Michael Jordan, you should also bring up Scottie Pippen. But I don't think it's necessary because I, I think that Jordan would have found a way to win at least a couple championships without Scottie. But those six championships that they won, there's no way that that happens without Scottie Pippen. Yeah. And I feel like that's just the way things are just remember, you know, you're, you know, everyone's every, you know, everyone's going to forget about Ringo every now and then and not to compare Scotty to Ringo, but like, you know, there is a beat there. There's the Beatles as a whole, but then everyone remembers John Lennon the most. And that's just how, um, to just fandom works. And I think that's why, and that's luckily for most people the, that can make or break you. I mean, just to go back to, uh, what we were talking about earlier, with the front office like that i think that is what got to them is how people were saying like jordan he's he's making you know they like they almost made jordan uh his his praise go beyond just him on the court but him off the court and i think that's when it started rubbing them the wrong way and people wanted their like just do and be like well if we're talking about front office don't forget me and and i think that happens where if you're just confident in yourself and the numbers on the board then you know the people who know will know, and you can keep getting those rings. And you know because I think we're seeing, we see, we saw a little bit of that if we talk about recent teams in the Warriors. How you know people were starting to get in their feelings because it was Curry this, Curry that. The Clay never worried about it. And of course, they got uh, talked about together with the Splash Brothers, but mostly it was Curry. But Clay was confident in himself. But then you have people like KD getting started, starting to get in his feelings, uh, using burner accounts uh, to talk smack. Uh, you know, 
And, that, and that's all ego. Yeah, I was going to say for people that don't know what Ify is talking about, uh, Kevin Durant was caught having a burner account, as many, <laughs> honestly, many of them have, where he was like responding to someone and forgot to close out of his Kevin Durant official account. Um, <laughs> wild. Mark, I wanted to say before we move off of uh, Scotty and getting paid, I know the second episode in the documentary really talked about how he was almost embarrassingly underpaid for how great of a player he is. However, um, our friend Jack Moore, who's a showrunner of Dear White People, great guy, he tweeted this, Scotty was definitely underpaid for most of his Bulls years, but he did make over $100 million for his career. Now, Mark, you and I were talking before this that that was also had to do with a change in the NBA regarding TV appearance money. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, TV rights are really what fuels a economic boom in any sort of league, whether it's the NFL or the NBA, is that once you have a collective bargaining agreement, which is where the owners and the players come to an agreement, each union says, okay, this is a fair share of our pie going forward. A lot of that is fueled by what the TV rights are, how much money is being poured into this league from TV who wants to broadcast your games. And so that TV boom for the NBA didn't really happen when Scottie Pippen was signing that contract. He just didn't have the foresight. And I even blame Scottie for that. I think his agent didn't have the foresight to say, look, you're locking into a deal that is $18 million is a lot of money, okay? But he locked into a seven-year contract that he signed. And so the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, and the GM, Kraus, were not inclined to change that because they had Scottie Pippen committed for seven years. Now, towards the end of that, once the TV money had come in, I think it would have been very fair of the front office to say, hey, Scotty, we know how valuable you are. You've won three championships with us, especially because Jordan had left. And so it's like, well, now Scotty's the guy. So we want to reward you. But it's just not the way business was done back then. We, we are inundated with player mobility and players being able to choose their destiny in 2020. And that just was not the case. It, you weren't able to be a free agent like what LeBron did in 2009 with the decision or what Kevin Durant did when he went to the Warriors or when he left the Warriors. Players now will go to a new team that they choose and they'll sign a one or max two-year contract. And the reason why they do that is twofold. One, because after that period, if they don't like where they are, they can go somewhere else. And also, after that time period, the TV right money is going to come in again and they're probably going to be making a lot more money because the max contract you can sign for has been elevated. So I love that players have the freedom and the ability to take their own career into their own hands. That was not the case back in the 90s when Scotty and Michael were coming about. I do blame Scotty's agent. I blame the front office for not being more forward with just wanting to renegotiate his contract and keeping a star player happy. But at the end of the day, the business was different in the 90s and Scotty's team just did not have the foresight to see where the NBA was going. Ify, I don't know if this bothers you, but I see a lot of um, you should have read the contract Twitter is what I'll call them. Oh, and yeah. I feel they have such little empathy for where these artists and athletes are in their lives. Scotty was talking about how his brother was in a wheelchair. His dad had a stroke and was also in a wheelchair. I forgot how many brothers and sisters he had. And he just wanted to make sure that if he got injured, which he, which he did actually get injured and sat out for a little bit. But if he got injured, he would be able to cover his family for life. And so, yeah. I, but I don't know. I know you see a lot of that iffy too when it comes to a lot of artists and hip hop artists that people have no empathy for them for signing the contract. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, um, I call them just a subset of rules Twitter, which are just uh, a bunch of people on Twitter who, 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 people who aren't them should follow the rules is, is generally how they tend to act. And it really comes, the lack of empathy comes from just pure jealousy. That's what it is, is they see this person had an opportunity for a lot of money. And even though they got screwed out of way more money, the fact that they've reached that much money has caused them to not have any empathy and be like, Oh, well you should have did this. You should have did this and have this uh, feeling of, of how, how much better they would have did. Now, we don't even want to get into the fact that these are the same group of people that if they're late to McDonald's breakfast, they're going to complain about how it should be longer than 1030. They're going to complain about, I mean, and I think that's just, uh, we're seeing that a lot. Not, I know some people are like, oh, this isn't an escape, but this is a actual ample comparison and something to think about. It's, it, it's just yeah. watch is watching the people who are uh, complaining and protesting about wanting to open up the states, but all this time has been talking about how people who uh, who are arrested for way too long for selling weed that is now legal should have just followed the rules. Why are they doing it? How um, how black people were killed by the cops when honestly they didn't do anything. They should have just followed the rules. And it kind of has opened my eyes of these like rule people. They don't actually care about the rules. That's just the that's just an excuse that allows them because at the end of the day, I feel like everyone is human and to get to a point to have that complete lack of empathy, you need some kind of grounding. You need a way to justify it and rule and these fake rules that don't really, that they never believe apply to them is how they get there. Uh, and rule and, and, and rules, uh, rule like it, it, whenever you anybody who is that beholden to rules just lets me know they have no memory of history. They don't know how the world works. They just want people making decisions for them because all of our history and all freedom we've achieved has been by breaking the rules. The, the rules used to say that uh, black and white people couldn't get married. The rules used to say that people can hold, own slaves. The rules, you know, <laughs> have been. Uh, have been in place so the next time you want to uphold rules just think about who placed them rules and who those rules actually benefit and protect right and for for most of the sports history the rules have been in favor of ownership of the front office and because players were basically treated as commodities now you might have a nice personal relationship with a couple of your players and go fishing or something but when it came down to business that you were on a team and that was the team you played for until you retired for the most part until they didn't think you were good anymore and then they either cut you you retire or they trade you to something to somebody it was for probably somebody younger if they're if they're smart and then in the 90s that started to change largely because of the popularity of the NBA largely thanks to somebody like Michael Jordan and so now you have players who all should be thanking people like Michael Jordan and like Scottie Pippen who were in the NBA at that crucial time when they had the NBA and NBC music and you had uh, Bob Costas doing the games and it just became this bigger and bigger thing. And then ESPN had SportsCenter all the time. They started putting NBA games on it. It just became this national thing. Do you know that in the early 80s, even when the Boston Celtics were beginning their championship run, the NBA finals were on tape delay on the West Coast? So it would air live on the East Coast, and it would be a three-hour delay on the West Coast. So you did not know when the East Coast knew who was the champion of the NBA. Can you imagine that going on 
today. I mean, people with Twitter. Oh my gosh, people would be cussing people they would out. Lose like, no their spoilers minds with sport. You think it's bad if you if you found out that that Han Solo doesn't make it out of the Force Awakens before you saw the movie? Imagining <laughs> hearing that Magic Johnson started at center and then hit a hook shot to win a game in the finals. I mean, it's nuts. Oh my gosh. I was going to say, because uh, we were talking about Scotty's awful agent, but Jordan's agent, David Falk, he actually had, I find this really fascinating, the entirety of his career from start to finish. Like, I mean, how often does that happen? That's crazy that he really, his agent really looked out for him and rode that wave all the way until he became who he was when he retired. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're talking to a guy who's had like, what, six seven agents already in my career doing stand-up so it is very rare to have that kind of relationship but look when when your client is michael jordan you you take the phone call at 3 a.m doesn't matter you take the phone call and you build that relationship because you know how valuable that client is both to your bank account then you also know if you're david falk that it, what you can do for mike and so you saw mike's face on on all these billboards all over the place on tv in commercials late night appearances he was just he, he was such a, a transcendent personality. I mean, the, the ad campaigns that came along with him, just they just stuck in your head. It's still to this day, people know, be like Mike. You know, they, it's just something that, that hit culture at the right point. That it was a super talented guy who we initially fell in love with because of how athletic he was. You know, he, he, he was winning dunk contests and jumping from the free throw line and having all these insane things. But then when he started winning championships and changing his game, it also changed his image a little bit. And he became everybody's best friend, even if that wasn't who he was behind closed doors necessarily. He had such a great charisma when he wanted to turn it on. And that's what the world fell in love with. I wanted to say besides Michael Jordan, David Falk has represented more than 100 other NBA players and is generally considered to be the most influential influential player agent the NBA has ever seen. Yeah, wild. He's he's the uh, you know, um, he'd be the the Jerry Maguire, I guess, of of the NBA. And then you have agents who represent NFL players. You have people like like Lee Steinberg and, and, and those kind of guys that, that also push forward, they push the envelope when it comes to player freedom, player contracts, and what players are, are allowed to do as far as endorsements go. So it all goes hand in hand with, with the audience being there. And we all showed up for it, and we're still showing up for it as the numbers. I'm sure the ratings for The Last Dance are insane, and it's just when you get lightning in a bottle like that, you want to take advantage of it. We have to take another really quick break and then we're going to hop back into more of the 90s bowls right after this. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. And we're back. Hope you enjoyed those messages, but it's time for some more Nerdificent here with Danny Fernandez, Mark Ellis. And we're talking about the last dance in those, uh, you know, 80, 90 Chicago Bulls. It's just such a Come great on and slam. To, to think about. And, and I smile when, when I think about the term the last dance, which is what Phil Jackson coined their final championship run in 98. But leading up to that, I mean, they had won five championships and they had a different core for three championships and then for the next three championships, because when they started winning, when they beat the Lakers, like I said, and then they the next year they beat the Portland Trailblazers in the finals. And that's where you see that Michael Jordan hitting five threes in the first half of I think it was game two. And he just does that shrug to Clifford Robinson where I don't know why I'm this good, but I am this good. And then. <laughs> You go to them beating uh, in the the third championship, they beat Charles Barkley and the Phoenix Suns. And, um, you know, there, there were so many great moments in that. But John Paxson, who was a, a, a role player, a sharpshooter for the Bulls, he hit the game ceiling shot to defeat the Suns. And then when you go to the next three championships, you have still Michael and you still have Scotty, but Horace Grant was no longer there. B.J. Armstrong was no longer there. They add in Ron Harper, who came over from the Clippers, who had a lot of talent. You add Steve Kerr, who's now the head coach of the Warriors, but he was kind of the John Paxson role, playing the sharpshooter. And then you had this rebounder who had already had two championships, and he went by the name of the Worm, <laughs> Dennis Rodman. Um, so with Rodman, though, I feel like – I was going to say, I know in the thing, it was like kind of like taking a risk that they were willing to take. How did he fare in the team? How long was he there for? He was there for all three championships that they won uh, when Michael Jordan came back from playing baseball, which we can get into that in a little second, too. But Dennis Rodman, when he was playing for the for the Pistons, he was not known as this like larger than life personality, weird kind of maybe head case uh, locker room cancer he was just known as a hard-working blue-collar great rebounder and then he got a couple championships and i think that he struggled as he has openly admitted to with some mental health issues and so once the pistons 
disbanded and they broke up. I think it broke his heart. I think that he wanted to play on the Bad Boys Pistons forever for his entire career. And then you figure out that the NBA is a business and Isaiah and Lambeer and these guys are going to retire before you do. And so then Rodman started to act a little more outlandish and started to be more about himself and and his personality and he would have all these crazy outfits and dye his hair and all this stuff that was very controversial in the mid-90s. He went to the San Antonio Spurs and it wasn't a great fit because David Robinson was their leader. And David Robinson literally went to the Naval Academy. His nickname is the Admiral, and he's an all-star MVP caliber talent. And so him and Dennis Rodman would clash often in the locker room. And at that point, it was like, okay, well, who can Dennis play for that's going to be able to maximize his talents while limiting the -the off-the-court antics? And then you say, oh, of course, the Chicago Bulls can take this chance because they have Michael Jordan. That's another reason why, if you're Jerry Krause, you have to realize that Michael is not a normal star. He is the rare kind of player that can put any other player on his team in their place, even somebody as dominant of an alpha as Dennis Rodman was, he knew that when Michael Jordan speaks, you have to listen. And so Jordan being able to harness Rodman's personality and channel it into just hardworking. There were still the antics. There were still the distractions. But on the court, it was all business for Rodman. It didn't matter if he was out in Vegas all night, the night before partying, and he got to practice five minutes before they started and he was hung over. He still would give an A effort on the court. And that showed. I mean, he was the leading rebounder for the team all three seasons. And he's in the Hall of Fame because of his rebounding ability. Can you tell the people about, speaking of how Michael likes to put people in their place, the story that happened between him and Corey Robinson? <laughs> this is one of my favorite uh, mythological tall tales. It actually, it, you, there's a couple of YouTube videos documenting it. So uh, Corey was this kid out of Oregon State who the Bulls drafted, and he, he was a pretty good scorer in college. And he was playing in the season following Michael Jordan retiring. And he was talking to Randy Brown, who was still on the Bulls. He was a teammate and won championships with Michael. And he was talking with Randy Brown. He said that uh, he could beat anybody one-on-one. He said he could even beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. And Randy Brown was hanging out with Jordan one time, telling him about this cocky kid who said he could take Jordan one-on-one. So Michael Jordan, this is a full year and a half after he retired during the next Bulls training camp, just shows up at the Chicago Bulls facility, shows up in his sweats that adorn his name, And he figures out which one is Corey. And he says, come here, I want want to teach you something. And he says, we're playing one-on-one right now. And Corey doesn't really know what's happening. All the other players kind of gather around. And Jordan takes him to school. He does every move. He tells him what he's going to do before he does it. And he still does it. And he basically embarrasses (laughs) this kid nine different ways and puts him in his place. And that's the competitive drive of Michael Jordan is that you do not cross Mike. And there's so many different... Uh, moments like that that you can YouTube some of them. You can just hear the tall tales and other ones. There's another one where he was just kind of going through the... The team was going through the motions. Mike never went through the motions, but Mike was struggling a little bit in the game against the Grizzlies, and it didn't matter at all. Who cares about the, at that time, Vancouver Grizzlies? Someone on the Vancouver Grizzlies bench made the mistake late in the third quarter of saying something and letting Mike hear it. Mike went off in the fourth quarter brought the team back from like 10 down they ended up winning by 10 and he just once he got that look you better get out of his way and i love the competitive (laughs) drive that that guy brought each and every night because 
he had that that philosophy that yeah he's he's an insane competitor he's got a psychopathic desire to win but he also knew that there's probably some kid that that worked hard or his parents worked hard to get him a ticket to the game and this kid it's his first and maybe last time getting to see michael jordan in person and you cannot let that kid down and i love that about mike i wanted to I agree with everything except the kid thing <laughs> Wait, what? Michael Jordan don't care about no kid. <laughs> don't care about no kid. Well, it was fascinating because I think they might have talked about that, or maybe we talked about that, uh, Mark, that like, I think it wasn't necessarily kids, but like kind of what you said, that it might be that person's first time ever seeing him and he wanted to always show out and show up. Yeah, it's it, he's he was definitely cognizant of his own legacy. And I think that that legacy took a little bit of a bruise in some people's eyes when he retired the first time. He retired, and he retired shortly after his father was murdered. His, his father was found dead, and it was a shooting. And, and people to this day don't really know what happened. They don't know if it was a random drive-by, if it was a target. And Michael Jordan always was would cite his dad as such a huge influence and inspiration in his life. And I think that when he decided to retire from the NBA and try to go play Major League Baseball, a lot of that is because baseball was his dad's first love. And Michael Jordan used to mm -hmm. play baseball. And I think that that's a little bit of that is is winning your father's approval, even posthumously. And there's the conspiracy theory that the commissioner of the NBA, David Stern, uh, forced Michael Jordan to retire because there was some sort of unpaid gambling debts that Jordan had racked up. And the only way to clean this thing up is to have Jordan leave the league. And I just don't buy any of that because if there's if there's any sort of gambling debt that Michael Jordan had racked up, the best way to pay that off is to have Michael Jordan keep playing basketball because that is where the money is. So I cannot well, people, imagine that. Mark, people have tagged me in that. Mm -hmm. um, like I'll do stuff on Instagram, like tell me a secret and people will tell me that secret. But they don't say that he racked up debt. It was more that it was just illegal gambling and they had to reprimand him in some way and made him sit out. And that's why he went to play. It's wild, but there's like a whole sect of people that believe that theory. It is, yeah. And and I, I would give more credence to the theory that you know that as you know, tough as it is to speculate on something that's a tragedy in your family, that it was James Jordan's murder is is somehow related to Michael and, and his gambling debts. And I again, I don't put a lot of stock in that, but it is I am a conspiracy theorist when it comes to certain things. If you want to do a nerd episode on who killed JFK, I'm happy to give you four hours of my time. But with this one, it's just it, it's so murky to try to differentiate. And, and Jordan really did have a desire to prove to the world that he could play Major League Baseball. And so if, if somebody tells you to, hey, you need to sit a year out, I don't think that you put the level of commitment that Jordan did into playing baseball because he really, really wanted it. I think something else, I mean, this man has dealt with tremendous loss because you were telling me that even before his dad passed away, before he won the championship in college, his girlfriend passed away. Yeah, his girlfriend drowned. Um, it was either the summer before, I think it might have been the summer um, after he won the championship when he was a, a freshman at, at Carolina. He, there was a raging waters that were kind of out of control, and him and his girlfriend, um, I, I, she fell in. And and even you know the athlete that Michael Jordan is, you just if, if somebody's getting swept away by by raging waters in a river, there's just there's nothing you can do. And so he has been through tragedy. He has been through things like that. And 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 Michael Jordan has always been a guy that will use anything and everything to fuel his 
competitiveness and his drive to win, whether that is something as real and as visceral as losing someone close to you, or it's just somebody said something that pissed you off, or it's even something that's not real that you can manufacture in your head to think that somebody's doubting you. I mean, he, it, Michael Jordan is the ultimate bulletin board material competitor, because if you say anything negative about Jordan, he's going to know and he's going to use it personally to, as Mike Tyson would say, eat your children. I mean, that's how bad he wanted to win. Michael Jordan is a brouhaha. You heard it here. (laughs) Um, I know that we could talk about this franchise forever, and there's so much. I mean, luckily, that's why they have hours worth of a documentary. But um, I guess to kind of wrap up things, can you talk about Phil Jackson? Because he's kind of like one of the most iconic characters in all of this. Yeah, he's you know known as the Zen Master. He had a different kind of approach as far back as when he was a player and winning championships with the Knicks in the early 70s. There's the the iconic Willis Reed moment when Willis Reed was hurt. He had a, a badly damaged leg, and he still managed to limp out and play in Game 7 of the finals that year. Willis Reed made two shots, but Phil Jackson was also on that team and won the championship with the New York Knicks. And Phil went on to be a head coach, and when... He got to the Bulls. He was just this curious kind of aloof presence that had a different way about going about handling players and and trying to enlighten players and and giving them books about yoga and and meditation and these new age things that were not really prevalent in the NBA. And he also brought this offensive scheme called the triangle, which was designed to get Michael Jordan the ball but also confused defenses as to when and how he was going to get the ball. And so the triangle offense is something that he employed with the Chicago Bulls to great effect, but also would later use with the Los Angeles Lakers. After he left the Bulls, he became the coach of the LA Lakers, right as Shaq and Kobe were together and coming into their prime. And so he won three more championships with the LA Lakers. And so the, the real thing that we missed out with, with this, this Bulls dynasty breaking up perhaps too early with upper management trying to you know, flex their muscle and get rid of Jordan and and kick Phil out is that if they had kept everything together and the Bulls met the Lakers in the finals, either in 99 or in 2000, and you would have had this old guard team looking for their seventh or eighth championship starring Michael Jordan versus a young but hungry and talented player named Kobe Bryant and the most dominant force the league had seen since Mike, Shaquille O'Neal, what a finals that would have been but if that was the case phil jackson would still be coaching the chicago bulls and i think that that's probably the x factor because i don't know who the lakers are going to trot out i don't know if they're going to trot out del harris or who they're going to co- in, in their coaching history but it ain't going to be phil jackson so i think the bulls still win that i had a unless you have other do you have any other questions if no, I think that's a good uh, good one to end on. I was going to say... You could talk about I, this all day. And this I just is, have two... I just had two questions, yeah. Mark. Well, one, I wanted to bring up a tweet that someone said <laughs> after the after this quarantine started. I don't know who tweeted it, but it was, um, now Michael's flu game just seems irresponsible. <laughs> Michael had it. Do you remember what game that was, Mark, off the top of your head, that Michael had his famous flu? He played even though he had the flu? Yeah, it was game five of the finals, and um, he didn't actually have the flu. They they call it the flu game because he was experiencing flu-like symptoms, but what the actual problem was is that he wasn't feeling well, so I think he had a cold and he was getting a lot of intravenous fluids, but at halftime, 
he drank what he thought was Gatorade, but it actually ended up being Gator Load, which was this like carb heavy kind of drink that you're supposed to drink if, if you're if you're weightlifting or you're training for something like that. But it was not meant for physical competition the way that you engage in during a basketball contest. And Mike got such bad stomach cramps from drinking the wrong beverage that he could barely stand, he could barely walk, and it looked like he had a bad case of the flu towards the end of the game. But in classic Jordan fashion, he still managed to hit a game ceiling three. And then you have that all-time image of Scottie Pippen helping Michael off the court. And so the flu game lives on in in our Lauren ESPN Classic runs it every year on the anniversary. (laughs) And it's just it's one of those things where it's either that or it's Pete Sampras puking in between sets at the 93 U.S. Open or Walter Payton uh, setting a new NFL rushing record while he had the flu in 78. It's just these things that it, you know, idiots like me will use when we're going to the gym and we don't feel like we're we're up to it. And it's what probably a lot of people who are dealing with COVID were, were thinking like, oh, this isn't going to affect me. And even if it does, I'll shake it off. And it's like, now sometimes you do have to use your brains more than your brawn. And so yeah. nobody right now should be having a sick game. <laughs> just just yeah. sit it out. Uh, one thing I did want to mention, and I almost messed up, is we were talking about the sneaker stuff. And of course, I had to c- cut in. And because... You know, a lot of people might accredit, uh, you know, the success of Jordan standing up until this time being like a, a trend, a fashion trend. And because it's it's popular <clears throat> and I say that's not true because uh, as a sneakerhead, everyone knows that the highest the ones that are the you have to cop because they're going to sell out are sneakers that follow the, the criteria of sh- shoes he's worn before. Uh, if he's worn it on set, they're going to sell. Uh, if he's worn it on, in a game, it's going to sell out. And distance between the last time it's been released, which means rarity plus Michael actually wearing it. But all these colorways that come out that ha- has never been worn by him will not sell the same way as the ones worn actually by it. So it actually is Michael Jordan himself being the reason that these sneakers sell and out. And kids, that's a man speaking right there who has 97,000 pairs of Jordans in his closet. I've seen <laughs> the Instagram pics. It's 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 it, to no end my my jealousy with Iffy. Maybe I'm jealous of how much he can bench, but more so than that it's his shoe collection. It's, it's pretty damn impressive. It's very hard at a size 13 because ironically, <laughs> basketball shoes they don't make as many size 13s as they do a size 10, 12, uh, you know, and it makes me mad because I'm like, that's like the starting size of basketball players. That's uh, right. It's all these. It's know. all these kids look like me and Steph Curry that, that are size nine <laughs> that, that are buying up all the Jordans. But they, that, that's another fun angle is the collectible memorabilia thing that also is a nerdy trait that we, we you know, we oh, buy yeah. Star Wars figures and, and comic books and all that stuff. But then also, Danny, getting back to, to your previous question, it's like when we have these kind of fantasy matchups in our head, like who would have won in, if it was 2000 and you had that Bulls team versus the L.A. Lakers or how would the 90s Bulls have fared against Greg Popovich? Which is Spurs or Steve Kerr's Warriors. It's one of those unanswered questions that we're never going to get the answer to, but it is endlessly debated. The biggest of which is Michael Jordan, the, the greatest player of all time, or is there more credence to the LeBron argument? Well, it's so funny because there are like the stands are so separated, and they were it, it, that's what made it so fun going into Last Dance because all the different camps were already talking smack because you have Kobe, greatest player. 
Michael Jordan, greatest player, and LeBron, greatest player. The three main camps on basketball Twitter uh, who will fight till the end of time using the most obscure stats <laughs> in the stat lineup. Where it's like, like I saw one that was like clutch game percentage. What what stat is that? What that is not a real stat. You made up a stat for this list. Well, I have something for Nerdificent fans. Since we're wrapping up, tweet at Nerdificent and at Iffy and I and Mark. Because I want to know who you think the greatest team ever is. So Scottie Pippen said they thought that they were the greatest team ever. I know a lot of people think that about the, this particular era of the Bulls. Who in your mind is the greatest NBA team ever? Fascinated to read what y'all think. Oh, I love this question so much because the style of basketball, even since the 90s and the heyday of the Bulls, has changed so much to favor outside shooting and so many more threes are taken per game and the three-pointers just become such a, a weapon as has advanced metrics and the way that you kind of calculate how to put a basketball team together that you you can't truly compare eras and it's a little unfair to do so but god what a matchup that would be if if you could have the rules that would favor the chicago bulls where is a more physical brand of basketball back then but i i still say it, it's tough for anybody to get past the warriors or the Spurs and uh, of the last 20 years that we've seen. But if there's a team that could do it, might be the 90s Bulls, might be the 80s Lakers, might be the 80s Celtics. Just they were the way that they played. They all had their hallmarks. They all had their traits, what made them unique. But if I am watching a basketball game and the teams break the huddles and start walking to the center court for jump ball and I see Michael Jordan on the team, very tough for me to pick the other team. <laughs> uh, Mark, thank you so much for coming on and geeking out about uh, the Chicago Bulls with us. Uh, where can everyone catch you? Oh, man, this was so much fun. I just I and, and Danny, you know, particularly how many times off air I will try to engage you in conversations like this. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for for not just humoring me for actually like you even when, when you and I were talking about doing uh, the last dance podcast last night, you were saying all these like great insightful things. And I was like, this is I've I've she's done it. She did it. This is the this is the person. And, you know, it, it was so much fun for me to geek out about this with, with y'all and, and to have this kind of conversation. So thank you guys so much. Uh, you can find me at Mark Ellis Live on all social media. And as soon as I can get back on a stage in front of a crowd again, I'm taking every possible opportunity I can because you never know when something like this is going to hit. There's some kid that's 21 and over that has had two drinks that is seeing me do stand up for the first time and I want to make their their night memorable. So I'm trying to apply the skills that Michael Jordan taught me as best I can. I am at Ms. Danny Fernandez on all the things. Thank you so much to our super producer, Joel Monique. Woo! Of course, our engineer, Zach McKeever. Uh, who makes sure that we sound good and nice and has to deal with my uh, butt not being able to know how to record anything. <laughs> um, Ify, do you have anything you want to plug this week? Uh, yeah, just keep checking out that stream, twitch.tv forward slash ifds. We're doing lots of fun stuff. I was talking to Mark off uh, the air about some new concepts I'm going to be working with. I have a new show over at Rooster Teeth uh, called 
uh, effing around with Ify and Fiona, me and Fiona Nova, just uh, you know, just doing whatever we want. Honestly, uh, it's real fun. So yeah, dude, follow me on Twitter, Ify Wadiway, Instagram too, to stay up on all those fun things. But uh, yeah, always got something cook up, and of course the Discord, Discord.gg forward slash Salt Squad in there, hella active. We uh, just had a fight night last night where we just were all playing Dragon Ball Fighter Z. Jeff Trammell uh, came through. Cody Zig came through. Uh, and we just all had a good time uh, throwing down. So, And everyone enjoyed it, so it's going to be a pretty regular thing. So, And like we always say, stay, stay nerdy. nerdy. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.